Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. It's been decades now, but I still remember the day I stood in front of a panel of faculty at Curtis for my first college audition. I had never met any of the musicians who looked up at me from behind the table. I knew them only by name and reputation, and even then, wasn't really sure who was who. This, of course, is before the days of Google Images and Facebook. I'm sure they were all perfectly nice folks, and it's possible that one or two may even have smiled at me. But in the heat of the moment, all I saw was an intimidating row of stern, somber, and serious-looking faces. Needless to say, my nerves shot through the roof, and I can still recall how anxious I felt and how completely scrambled my thoughts were. Whether it's a college audition, seating auditions at school, or the unscreened round of an orchestral audition, what are we to do when we come face-to-face with the people who could meaningfully shape the future course of our lives with just a few marks of their pens? How can we keep our nerves from spiraling out to the bad place? Research suggests that those of us who experience social anxiety have a tendency to experience our surroundings differently. Specifically, the attention of socially anxious individuals is biased towards negative stimuli, which contributes to a tendency to focus on things around them that confirm their fears and maintain rather than reduce their anxiety. If you've ever gone to work wearing a mismatched pair of black dress shoes, or discover that you committed some other fashion faux pas too late to do anything about it, you may be able to relate a little to the feeling of being overly sensitive to your surroundings. Even though the logical part of you knows that the quiet laugh behind you and the smile of a stranger passing by have nothing to do with your fashion mishap, it's difficult not to be a little more sensitive, and to feel your face turning slightly red perhaps as you wonder if they are in fact a response to your appearance. Curious to see how this phenomenon plays out in performance-like situations? An international team of researchers put together a study to explore this further. 44 students were recruited to participate and asked to take a social anxiety assessment. 22 of them scored high on this measure and made up the high social anxiety group. The other 22 scored low on the same test and were designated as the low social anxiety group. 
Each participant was then hooked up to a heart rate monitor and an eye tracking device and asked to prepare a three-minute speech on the education system in China, which at the time was a popular topic of debate on campus. Of course, the task wasn't just to prepare a speech, but to deliver that speech as well to 12 audience members who would be connecting live via Skype to listen and evaluate their speech. In actuality, the audience was pre-recorded and consisted of university students who were trained to provide positive, neutral, or negative facial expressions and behaviors. Positive stimuli, for instance, involved nodding, smiling, and leaning forward slightly. Neutral stimuli included looking ahead without smiling or frowning and making slight adjustments of one's head and body. And negative stimuli consisted of frowning, rolling one's eyes, shaking one's head, yawning, and looking away. So how would the participants react? Would there be any differences between how the low anxious and high anxious participants reacted to the exact same audience? As expected, there were a few interesting differences between the two groups. Difference number one was related to perceptions of speech performance. The low anxious participants seemed to feel more positive about their speeches, rating them higher, about a six out of 10, than the high anxious participants did. They rated their speeches around a 4 out of 10. This seems to speak to the self-evaluation bias, or the tendency for our anxiety levels to color our perceptions of how well we are performing. The second difference had to do with the negative and positive bias. Using the eye-tracking data, the researchers were also able to measure not just what participants were looking at, but for how long. When they tallied up the total amount of time participants spent fixating on positive, neutral, or negative audience reactions, the researchers found an interesting difference. The low-anxious participants spent significantly more time attending to positive audience members than did the high-anxious participants, about twice as much time in fact, almost 30 seconds for the low-anxious group versus about 15 seconds for the high-anxious group. The low anxious group also spent significantly less time fixating on negative audience members than did their high anxious counterparts. Just about 13 seconds for the low anxious folks versus 26 seconds for the high anxious folks. Fundamentally, they found that the low anxious participants had a normative negativity bias, that is, a tendency to direct their attention towards positive audience members and away from threatening stimuli. Conversely, the high-anxious participants did not seem to have any such protective bias. If anything, they did the opposite, focusing more on negative reactions than on any other type of reaction. The high-anxious group's preoccupation with negative audience members appeared to have physiological consequences as well. While the stressful task made both groups' heart rates increase above baseline levels, the high-anxious group's average increase of about 27 beats per minute was significantly greater than the low-anxious group's increase of about 14 beats per minute. So what does this all mean? Well, it's not clear from this study what might have happened if the high-anxious participants had been trained to spend more time looking at neutral or positive feedback audience members, so you'll have to take this with a grain of salt. However, the data does seem to suggest that the more worried you are about what a listener or an audition panel thinks, the more likely you could be to seek feedback about your performance in the moment. And in that moment, if you focus disproportionately on hints of negative feedback, that may very well increase your anxiety, make you tighten up, lead to more discomfort and more worries, and hasten that familiar downward spiral of doom that we've all experienced. So what are we to do with all of this? Well, on one hand, I suppose this is sort of an obvious finding. 
I mean, of course, looking at a sour-looking committee member is going to make you feel more nervous than looking at someone who's nodding along with a friendly smile. But it's an example of one of those things where knowing is only half the battle. Because actually keeping your focus relentlessly directed towards positive stimuli under pressure is easier said than done. It's a lot like trying not to look at roadkill. We know we're totally going to regret looking, but man, it's just so hard not to. In an ideal world, when you're on stage, it's probably best to avoid looking for any sort of feedback, positive or negative. After all, in that moment, it's more important to focus on what you want to say rather than on what others might think. But if you do have to look at the panel at some point, make it a point to play to and mentally connect with the positive, confidence-enhancing people on the committee who make you feel more comfortable and supported. This is something you could even practice. It might be fun to try as a personal experiment. Whether picking out friendly faces in a restaurant or social gathering, or selecting one or two especially engaged audience members to play to in a performance setting, we have opportunities around us all the time. And who knows, maybe cultivating this habit will make the world feel like a slightly friendlier place even outside of the concert hall as well. You can also find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice, or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you could do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can sign up to join a new cohort of learners and educators for the upcoming live online Performance Psych Essentials class through Sunday, January 15th, when registration ends. You can do this at bulletproofmusician.com essentials.